on the great men of Christendom, Billy Graham, died a couple of years ago now. Billy Graham was, you may, not, you may find this hard to believe, but was, was once caught speeding, okay, down in the south through a country road. He was stopped by a policeman, charged, and Graham admitted his guilt, but the officer said to him that he would have to uh, appear in court. In court there. Thanks, Jerry. In court, he stood before the judge, and the judge uh, says, "How do you plead?" He pleaded guilty, and so the judge says, "I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have to charge you and fine you a dollar for every mile an hour you are over the speed limit." So it's not just Great Britain that uses good old-fashioned miles. Okay, they do it in America too. Okay, because I'm going to charge you a dollar, so that's ten dollar fine. But then it seems that he recognised who was standing before him in the dock, that this was uh, the, the famous Billy Graham. And so the judge says, hey, I can't do that to you, Mr. Graham. Here, he takes out $10 out of his own wallet, attaches it to the fine, and says, here, it's done. And then afterwards, took him out for a meal. <laughs> okay, it's way beyond anything that Billy Graham deserved. I mean, he should have paid the fine He'd done the crime, hadn't he? And yet he reveals, just in a small measure, in a light-hearted way, I suppose, a measure, something of grace. Someone shouting, it to be loud. What is grace? I mean, that's an example of it. Who can give me one in a, in a couple of sentences? Grace is an unmerited favour, and in biblical terminology, an unmerited favour from God. Just like Billy Graham deserved to have his fine turned upside down, grace is something that we don't deserve. It's not equivalent to a wage or a salary. It's, it's something that doesn't belong to us. And we're going to see that in chapter 2 this morning. We'll probably spend a couple of weeks in chapter 2. I know we rush through chapter 1. We're just trying to get into the story. Okay, uh, chapter 2 we're going to spend longer on and 3 and 4. Last week we started with providence at work. Remember that? Providence at work. We said that God is working in the world. He's especially at work in his people. He's got a plan. He's holding course. He's a key part of God's providence. Nothing can jeopardize it. Not even you, okay? Not even you. Nothing can jeopardize what God is doing in His world in your life. And at times it may seem like a complete mess. We might find ourselves in great pain and loss. We might not even see the way forward at times. And we may be tempted to lose hope. But, but, God's providence is a work. And we'd be foolish, friends, foolish to challenge it, even when we can't understand it. Here's what we said, Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As high as, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The thing about God is that he's got a better mind than you or me. He can do things on a much grander scale 
much more complex operations. Operations lasting much longer. He can do things lasting the whole width of your life. And when you're a teenager, it may not make any sense, but it may make sense when you're, what's middle age? Is 40 middle age? Okay, yeah, then my age, okay? Uh, it makes sense to God. He knows what he's doing. However winding the path, however perplexing, he's got it in hand. So chapter two, the first part tells us this. Trust him. Trust him. Okay? Don't keep asking. Okay, when, when, yesterday, as we oh, on our way back home, all I got from Theo every five minutes, can I now go up to the games room? Can I now go up to the games room? You see, he knew the plan, so I told him the night before, he gets time in the games room in the morning, and all morning, is it now time for the games room? Okay. We, we shouldn't treat God like is he now God? Is he now God? Is he now God? Is he now? Trust him. He's got it he's got in hand. Rest in him. Anchor your hope in him. And watch him work this out for you. That's providence of work. Today, our heading is grace in operation. Grace in operation. And we're gonna we're gonna fit it across these verses. We're gonna do it in harvest starting as a harvester, goes over his land once and then again and maybe again. So we'll go over similar verses a couple of times and each time get a bit more detail. So we're gonna be a bit scattered this morning. Verse four. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvest says, Lord be with you, the Lord bless you. They called back. So he's arrived. Look. Let me ask you this question uh, before I give you the answer. Who is the book of Ruth really about? It is about God. That's a really spiritual and godly answer. Well done. You're too spiritual for me. On a more mundane level, the character is in the book. Okay, because it is about God. We're going to get there later. Who is the book of Ruth really about? It's about Boaz. It's not Ruth's book at all. She figures in it and she's highly prominent up to now. Naomi and Ruth have been significant, but the book of Ruth is really, and if you haven't got this, you haven't understood Ruth, your homework today, before lunch, is read chapters one to four, okay? Because the book of Ruth is really about Boaz. It's all about him, and there's a reason why it is about Boaz. Somebody tell me, why is the book of Ruth really about Boaz? This, this is a Bible college question. The person who gets this, he gets a cookie. Great. Thank you. So we've got a student here, of an ex-student of a Bible college. Okay. The reason the book of Ruth is about Boaz, because what is every book of the Bible about? Jesus. Jesus. Which means when you pick up the book of Ruth, who are you looking for? Jesus. Jesus. Okay. So Boaz isn't just interested in what's been produced. He's interested in the people. He's mindful, caring, he's shown genuine interest, and you can see that he's a caring man, because not how they respond to him, this is how they respond back to him. The Lord be with you, he says, and their response is, the Lord bless you. There's a relationship between a high-standing, ranking, high-ranking member of their community and the workers. There's some warm-heartedness, beauty between them. 
No, well, carry on. So being mindful of his work is it's not surprising that he notices somebody new. A young lady, listen to this verse 5, Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? It sounds a bit peculiar, doesn't it? Yeah, if you turn up somewhere and you see a young lady, and I mean, who would say here, you know, well, look, take me for example, I'm leading a service, someone walks in, and I walk over to uh, Sid and say, Sid, whose young lady is, that? is she? I mean, you, we, don't, we don't speak like that, but it's cultural. It, what Boaz is really asking is, is whose wife is she? Or whose daughter is she? In, in, that, in that culture, your identity was tied to either your spouse or your family. And so it's a question of interest. And notice the effort he makes. Having learned who she is, in verse 8 we told us, Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. My daughter, listen to me. Daughter here is a term of endearment. I mean, we still, I mean, is it common? Would you, if you were out and you saw a, a, maybe a young girl belonging in your family clan that you were affectionate towards, would you, would you call a daughter? Do you do that here? No, no, no. I guess at one time people may have done. I mean, in the, in the East, you would still do something like that. You'd, you'd meet a young girl, perhaps from your family clan, and, and you'd refer to her as your sweetheart, as your little daughter. It'd be quite common. And so this is kind of what's going on here. Boaz, in speaking to Ruth, listen to him. My daughter. It's, it's a term of endearment. Okay. It's of nurture. Demonstrating the type of nurture someone has for a daughter. And he continues. Don't go and glean in another field. And don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting. And follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars uh, that the men have filled. Can you see what he's doing? This is a worker. Not, it's not even a worker. She's less than a worker. Remember, remember, she's gleaning. He takes the trouble to go up to her. He takes the trouble to talk to her. But more than that, he's taking the trouble to care. For her. Remember, she's not earning him any money. He's not like he's going to get something out of this. She, she's not bringing in any harvest. And yet, he's mindful. And it goes, it goes deep. Look, I've told the men not to touch you. He's given her safety. Whenever you're thir- thirsty, he provides drink for her. And we begin to see, and I'm going to reveal more of this as we go along, more of the character of this man. He notices the destitute. He, he's providing for her. He's caring for her. He's doing something that will ensure that she's got safe gleaning over the next few weeks and months. Let me turn your attention to Jesus for a moment. This is what we read about him. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is obviously speaking about himself but he reveals something that he'll do for his people. In Mark 10, he tells us in, in detail, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Christ, we see somebody who will go out of his way to show a gesture of kindness and care and consideration. So much so that we're going to see in Jesus in the coming weeks 
Someone who lays down his life. Someone who goes the extra mile, the ultimate mile, as far as anybody can go, in demonstrating interest, love and care for his people. And here in Boaz, we begin to see the, the beginnings, the, the embryo, if you like, of someone who is going to model Jesus for us. Let me take you to verse 14. Boaz came to him and said, come over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. So now he's providing lunch for it. You see, for most cleaners, you went without lunch. You went, you were gleaning for your meal. You weren't able to prepare it on hand. And so, so Boaz, aware, obviously, that she wouldn't have lunch, provides for her. He offered her some roasted grain. So it, it, it isn't even common lunch. I remember uh, when I was 19, I visited uh, my country of birth and I saw some workers who would come up and, 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 the, and the conditions were so that they, similar to this, they would turn up to work in the fields to harvest grain or move soil. And for these dear poor folks, the only way they were going to get a meal that evening was by the wage at the end of the day for the harvest, which they'd get paid at the end, they'd go buy a meal and share it with their family. They would normally go without. And the rare occasions that they did have food for lunch, I used to watch this on occasions as a 19-year-old. On the rare occasion they did have lunch with them, it was plain rice with water. That was the best they could do. Okay? And so here, Ruth is gleaning. She would have no lunch with her for certain. And so Boaz brings her, he provides lunch for her, but he doesn't just provide a basic uh, elements, staple of food. He offered us some roasted grain. Who do you think was eating roasted grain? Boaz and his men. Okay? The people who could afford it. So he offers her the best of what he's got. And he goes further. Even further. Listen to this verse 15. So she goes up. She, she got up to glean. Boaz gave some orders to the men. She's after lunch now. If she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. That is, if she accidentally goes further than she should, okay, you know, if she accidentally begins to take from what is mine, you know, don't embarrass her. Let her do it. And it goes further. Listen to this. And this is the ultimate act of grace thus far in the story that we see from, Bo- uh, from Boaz. Rather, he tells them, pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Did you hear that? Pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles, from what you've harvested. Pull some out, okay? Quietly on the slide, which you can't see, okay? And just leave them there. Pretend that they've fallen. Pretend that they're neglected. Pretend they were just there all along. I want you, in his effect saying, I want you to set her up with an abundance of harvest. It's quite moving uh, to take back with her. You see, the law stipulated and the law demanded that Boaz had to leave the corner of his fields for her. He was under strict uh, mosaic legislation to ensure that he, whether or not he wanted to or not, whether or not he cared or not, whether or not this meant anything to him or not, he had to, in good conscience, leave the corners of the field. That's what the law required. But what Boaz does is beyond law. And this is where he points to Jesus in, in the most ultimate way, that he takes an action that is beyond the law of Moses, 
beyond what's stipulated, beyond what's expected of him. Here's what John writes about Jesus. It's in John 1 verse 17. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God dealt with his people, with you, according to law ahead of Jesus. Jesus, which meant when you stepped out of line, when I stepped out of line, what was the punishment? What was the due? What could we expect when you stepped out of line on the mosaic regulation? If you, in that in that environment, someone shout out. You would expect the full weight of the law to come down on you. And Jesus reminded the people he was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Okay, if you murdered somebody, you would in return have your life confiscated off you. You see, the law expected its, the weight of it to be handed out when it was broken. And, Jesus, and John reminds us of this in John 1.17. The law was given through Moses, but now that Jesus... And you see, what we had that song earlier, Good, Good Father. Now that Jesus is on the landscape, he brings something... That moves beyond law. Can you see that? The law of the law era. The time when God responded to us according to merit. We got what we deserved, what we were due. That time has been pushed aside by grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth through Jesus Christ. And it's why when you and I step out of line, and we do, don't we? God doesn't bring the full weight of law to bear on us. He brings the full weight of grace to bear on us. And the two have completely different, different effects. Remember when Billy Graham broke the law? The full weight of the law was a $10 bill. Okay? That was probably a lot of money back in those days. Okay? Right? But instead, the judge brought the, the weight of grace down upon him Jesus brings the weight of grace to bear upon his people that means that when we wrong when we sin, when we step out of line it's not the weight of the law that we feel it's the weight of grace and grace isn't heavy it's like one of those fluffy things, it's light it comes upon us with his love and, and so Boaz is pointing us to someone who will not just do law, but move beyond law, beyond anything that we could ever have imagined. You have to see this from Ruth's perspective. She's gone out not knowing where she would land that morning. She happened to land in the field of Boaz. She's gleaning safely, which is a, which is a kindness in itself. But then Boaz takes notice of her. He speaks to her. He offers her drink to refresh her. He brings her close to him at lunchtime and gives, him, gives her something of the men's food. Then he ensures that there's plenty left for, him, left for her. And he even makes sure that there are bundles of grain for her to pick up. It's going way beyond what's expected to something greater. When we encounter Jesus, friends, and here's a crunch of our message this morning. We don't get just what we do. In fact, we don't get what we do. If you've ever wanted justice when you see someone step out of line, you're a fool because if you got what you were due, 
it would wipe you off the planet. And so when we meet Jesus, we don't just get what we do, we get grace. And the thing about grace, it's something that doesn't seem to have any limits. It's something that doesn't seem to understand boundaries. Just as Boaz didn't understand boundaries, Jesus doesn't seem to understand boundaries. Let me show you what he did to this woman. And it just happened, Jerry, you mentioned her earlier this morning. The woman at the well, John 4. Listen to how Jesus doesn't appreciate boundaries. He finds a woman alone. He speaks to her. And look how he speaks to her. He tells her about her life. But not in a condemnatory way. You know, look, look, you know, I know you've had five husbands. Because if he spoke like that to her, she would have left. We can only we, can, we, we haven't got the tone of his voice, but we know by a reaction that he speaks to her with much, much, much more sympathy, concern, love. And he goes further with this woman than he does with anyone else in such graphic detail up to this juncture. Listen, he says to her, she says, Look, I know the Messiah is coming, talking about the Messiah. And then he says to her, I who speak to you am he he reveals himself to her he shows her that he's the hope of all of the Jews and Samaritans he goes that one step further he always does much more than you would imagine in fact this shocks the disciples they can't quite palate it we looked at this last year they can't quite cope with it let me take you to another situation remember when Jesus encounters the, the, the leper when he's coming down to the Sermon on the Mount and a leper comes down and approaches him it's all wrong why is the situation all wrong when this leper approaches him because the law stipulated that lepers were to go nowhere I think it's the next one please Nate they were to go nowhere near civilization okay, nowhere near them and yet he approaches Jesus with this question, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What should Jesus have done? Rebuked him. <coughs> he had no right to even approach Jesus. He had no right to speak to him. He shouldn't be in his presence. He shouldn't be in anybody's presence. And he shouldn't be asking favours. Jesus should have rebuked him. Scorning him, handing him to the Pharisees for them to deal, for them to put the weight of the Lord upon him, to have him shackled. And yet, he not only makes time for him, but he has mercy on him. Listen to his words. I don't think I've got his words there. His response is, I am. I do care. I watch your life. I follow your life. I understand what it feels like. And I will carry the cost of the uncleanness that you've created by approaching me. I will carry the weight of that. And more, I will carry it with stripes on my back. The cost to make you right. 
Because we know he's omnipotent, all powerful and omniscient, all knowing and omnipresent everywhere, we have to appreciate, friends, that when he said those words, he felt the wind on his back. You know that, don't you? He felt the sting. Even as he said those words, be clear. And it's because he does this, friend, because John 1.14 is because we have seen his glory, says John. We've seen his glory. It's nothing like Moses' glory. It's the most brilliant thing we've ever seen. It's like the best of those stories. It's like the best of Moab, of Boaz. We've seen his glory. He's come from the Father. And he is full of grace, writes John. And he can write that because he witnessed what he was like. He saw it. And it was nothing like he'd ever seen before. Boaz, in kernel form, and we're going to see this as we go through the weeks, is beginning to show us something of the character, nature, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the way he, he lovingly woos and cares for and protects and watches out for this foreigner. And the key point is there is that there's someone who doesn't belong. Someone who doesn't deserve it. Someone who's outside of the parameters of God's grace. Let me tell you a real life situation, a real life story. 2nd of October, 2006. Charles Carl Roberts. He barricaded himself in an Amish community. Barricaded himself inside the nickel mines Amish school. I don't know if you remember the story. It would have been news headlines. 2006, okay? He barricaded himself in there and he murdered, in a school, murdered six Hamish schoolgirls. Injured numerous others before taking his own life. His wife, Marie Roberts, had a funeral for him on the following Saturday. He left her behind and two young children. She obviously had nothing to do with this. On that following Saturday, when, when the funeral for Marie's husband was going on, half of the 75 people in the congregation were Amish people from that community. They'd come not to protest or to show anger. 
but they came to show their support and concern for a grieving wife and grieving children. The community from which lost six of their own came to stand next to the grieving wife of a murderer. Bruce Porter, a fire department chaplain who attended the service, wrote these words. He said he was profoundly moved. He says, it's the love, the heartfelt forgiveness they have towards our family. He says, I broke down, weeping and crying. He said, Marie Roberts was also touched. She was absolutely, deeply moved by the love shown her and her family. It's a glimpse of grace. And we know that witness some of this in our own environments. I know I've witnessed it. I've felt it. We all have, haven't we? These moments of grace. Ruth is feeling it. And she's going to increasingly experience the grace of Boaz through these chapters. Jesus is the ultimate source of grace, of compassion, of care, of love. So here's that point. He's a good, good father. Jesus' his father is at least, and he's a representation of him. So whatever your situation, however desperate, poverty-stricken, sick, lonely, in pain, in grief, in sin. You don't have to fear in drawing near to Jesus. He hasn't drawn you to Him and He hasn't called you to Him just to vaporize you, just to beat up on you, just to throw a law book at you. He hasn't come to do that. And he hasn't drawn you near to him to do that. He's drawn you near to him to show you grace. It's why in John 6, he says these words, Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So come. Come. Well, have you ever really come to Jesus? Look, I don't mean you know when you come to church. Come to you. Of course, you're here now. But you may be listening online. Have you come to Him? Have you laid your heart down before Him? Have you said, look, I'm a bag of bones. I'm not worthy of, of, of you. I'm a terrible guy. Terrible girl. Have you opened your heart to Him? Have you said sorry? Have you invited him in? Is he your Lord? Is he your father? Your brother? Your companion? And you can do that today. Pick up a book at the back. Just show you how you can engage with him in a relationship. And for those of us who no doubt have, let me ask you, how do you relate to him? What's in your mind when you think of God? A big scary figure sitting in the sky ready to zap you the minute you step out of line? 
Bir de abi after imagine mi var ya? Ben abi normal. Jesus shows us quite what is life. And we felt it, haven't we? So look, draw near to him. Don't be afraid. No matter what you've done, where you've been, how bad you may think you are, draw near to him. Lay it out before him. Receive his love, his care, his concern. His sympathy, his empathy. He can empathize with you. You know that, don't you? He, he, he knows. Remember, he knows what bereavement is like. What did he do when he was bereaved of his closest companion in John 11? He cried. They weren't crocodile tears. They weren't just for show. Okay? He, he understood what human loss felt like. If you feel an outcast, you know, maybe your life isn't quite what it's meant to be, and so people don't look at you quite the right way. How do you treat that woman at the well? In the most loving way. If you feel you don't belong, your sin is too much of a stench. If people really knew what you were like, they wouldn't want you in their company. Remember the, remember the leper. He didn't belong. Jesus welcome. Hey, you're welcome. Draw near to him. Draw near to him now when you go home. Draw near to him. Hey, go for a walk this afternoon and draw near to him. Open your heart. Speak to him. Engage with him. Receive his love and care for you. And walk closer to you. Whoever comes to me, he says, I will never drive away. If only you knew how much he'd been looking out for you. How he... Let me just pray and then Naomi will lead us in our final song. Oh Father, forgive us when we treat you like an angry despot waiting to lash out the first sign of a wrong step from us. Oh, we deserve that. Oh, we deserve that. 
grace and truth came to us through Jesus Christ. Help us to receive that, to revel in that, to welcome that, to walk in that this coming week. Pick us up when we fall. Draw near to us when we are alone. Lead us in the way, in your way. Capture our hearts. Thank you then for loving us. Amen.